On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. Menners. And in this episode of the podcast, I have a trifecta of three of the best cricket journalists in Australia. Starting off with Robert Crash Craddock, then followed by Ben Horn, and the closer is Gideon Hay. So three top journalists to, to go through all the biggest news items in Australian cricket. So let's get into it. All right, joining me now on the podcast, I have the chief cricket writer for the Courier Mail in Brisbane and co-host of Fox Cricket's Cricket 360, Robert Craddock. Crash, welcome back to the show. How are you? It's great to be back, man. So much is happening. Never a dull day. Absolutely. And let's start with the opposite of a dull day. The the first Women's Big Bash League standalone semi-final day at Dremoyne Oval produced the most exciting day's cricket all summer, without doubt. Well, look, it really did. The two classic uh, last-over finishes in the uh, semi-finals were just what the competition needed, Menas. And I say that because there had barely been a tight game in more than 30 games in the men's competition. So uh, I felt so happy for the, the women's competition to put on such... Great finales, and um, uh, you know the, the final now will be get great coverage all week. And of course, Ash Barty, uh, the Australian Open quarter finalist, having played for the Brisbane Heat, and she was enthralled by it. She was tweeting about it, so it was just wonderful. It was so exciting in the first semi-final when Hayley Burkett from the Brisbane Heat took a, a spectacular catch to to win the game. I mean, I was shouting. It was so exciting, and you know, for both semi-finals to be sort of decided with a, a brilliant catch and a brilliant run out really shows the sort of professionalism of the game. Now, you just wouldn't have seen that maybe ten years ago. Yeah, look, it, it, it really was a testament. To to how far women's cricket has come. And, you know, the amount of power hitting in the game now compared to... I saw a figure the other day about the amount of sixes being hit, and it's substantially more this season than it was even a couple of seasons ago. Uh, the girls are fitter. And, and look, it's been proven in uh, Olympic sport in England that money means fitness and strength and extra conditioning. And the girls now being full-time professionals, thanks to a breakthrough in, the, in, the, uh, in their payment levels, they're fitter than they used to be. They're stronger than they used to be. They were always incredibly professional. Even when they were working part-time, they committed themselves as much as any part-time athletes have in any sport, I do believe. But this has taken them up a level, and it's great to see. Yeah, and uh, just uh, such a great to see that the first standalone semi-finals day was such a success, and can't wait for the final. Now, uh, heading back your way, Robert, in uh, Brisbane, so your Woolen Gabba had a shocker this week. There was a blackout in the middle of a big bash game. The Sydney Thunder made four for 186, and then in reply, the Heat were two for 10, 
and then half the lights went out. I mean, it's just another blow to the Gabba. Yeah, it, it is matters. And look, perception is reality in the millennium we live. And the, the Gabba has been under siege. Let's face it, it has been left behind as a venue by the renovated Adelaide, which I believe is the number one venue in Australia now. And Perth, who put on a ripper test match, you've got to give them credit for that. So that causes Brisbane uh, uh, you know, a lot of heartache. The fact that it's got to somehow leap over one of those two to be in the top four again, because Sydney and Melbourne are entrenched as the game's two iconic venues, and I think we all accept that, even if their wickets are a bit docile. But look, it was, you can say all you like about it being uh, a freak event of a cable underground, outside the ground, causing a blackout in the suburb. But I know of at least one southern venue said to me that they would have had reserve power on hand to solve any problems. Another venue said to me, no, we would have been caught like Brisbane. But it, it, it's just, it was a real slap in the face for, for Queensland cricket entering this day-night test this week, man. It's bad look. Yeah, they'll be scrambling to make sure all the cables are, are working fine ahead of the test match. And, and uh, what about the, the details of that game? You know, we saw the Brisbane Heat captain Chris Lynn decline an offer to play with half the lights and the Sydney Thunder just bowling spin. Can you see where Lynn was coming from or do you think he should have just played on? Oh, look, I can see where Lynn was coming from, but I felt that could totally understand where Shane Bond was coming from as well the Thunder coach, when he made two extremely valid points where he said that, look, if you say that, oh, we'll play, you can continue the game if the Heat want to play on, then you can't call the game... Well, it's either fit for cricket or it's not fit for cricket, but it shouldn't be saying, oh, well, if they'll play on, we can play on. So, yeah, I I felt a bit sorry for the Thunder and I also felt sorry for them in that their net run rate which would have got a substantial boost because of their total of 187, it didn't count for that either, the abandoned match. Now, with both the Heat and the Thunder getting one point each, they're now the odd teams. They're, they're, they're really... The only rivals they've got is each other in terms of the, the run quotient because they may finish together at the end of the preliminary rounds. If they do, the team with the higher run rate will go through and man, oh man, if that is uh, the Brisbane Heat, root the thunder be spitting chips then. So I felt they had a very strong case. And, of course, there was a precedent in the Sheffield Shield game between Victoria and New South Wales, which Victoria got the six points because New South Wales in Sydney, the, the, the outfield was deemed substandard. So, yeah, so Brisbane were very lucky to get a point. There was a bit of a debate on Twitter over the weekend with Moses Enriquez and Brendan McCullum and Chris Lynn weighing on and in on this debate about the, the allocation of points. And I, I do think, you know, Sydney Thunder have a valid case for being awarded full points. I know it probably won't happen, but it could cost them a final spot. It really could. So they would be gutted. Well, uh, yeah, and, and I just... <laughs> how They say that Shane Watson's century counts for his career, but the run rate does not count towards the Sydney Thunder's competition. Now, my point is, there was nothing artificial about the game until the lights went out. So, in other words, both teams had slapped all they had on the table. So I can't see why the run rate should not count. I I really don't. So I could sort of get why the Thunder would be so outraged by it. Uh, But having said that many, 
if I was in Chris Lynn's shoes, I wouldn't have been volunteering to go out there anyway. I, like, you know, yeah. when, when you're on the back foot, you, you tend to say, well, we'll leave it with the umpires then. That's but, right. Uh, yeah, it was not a great game. Look, the, the Big Bash has been reasonably flat this year, man, as I've got to say it, and, and that was another setback, particularly given that it was up against the Australian Open tennis. Yeah, yeah, agree. All right, let's move on now to the uh, Test Series against Sri Lanka that starts this week. A big blow for Australia. Josh Hazelwood has been ruled out with some sort of the beginnings of stress fractures or, you know, the very the same spot that happened last year. So he's going to sit out this Test Series and uh, Jai Richardson comes in. What do you think about that selection? Well, I do feel a bit sorry for Chris Tremaine, who's been terrific in the Sheffield Shield more than 50 wickets last season. And I, I, I think it confirms that the taking order in Australian cricket is very muddy at the moment. Goodness me, we saw Hans Combe go in, go out. We saw the same with uh, Mitchell Marsh as he played musical spots with Hans Combe. Aaron Finch has come and gone, hasn't he? And, and now, but uh, Richardson, I can understand their willingness to have a look at him. And I do believe he should beat Peter Siddle for a place in the eleven. I mean, he's a bowler with a lot of energy about him. He's quick. He's a former Australian under-19 player. He's been on their radar for a lot of years. And I wouldn't mind seeing him in there to have a look at. But I do feel sorry for Chris Tremaine, who just has a way of taking wickets. And I think when you're coming up to an Ashes tour, you've really got to get our bowlers right. It's, It's greatly concerned me over the last decade that we don't pick at least one bowler who's really suited to English conditions. And I'm talking about a, a Terry Alderman clone like a Chad Sayers or someone like that, a Daniel Worrell or someone like that. But we, we do need to have a swing bowler in there somewhere. I mean, we've seen it happen to us when Australia comes up against teams and they have decent medium paces that can swing the ball, they get us in trouble. So you don't always need raw pace. It's good to have that option, but you don't. Yeah, it's a, it's a, look, it's a really good point to make. I think, I mean, do we ever have a, a totally express bowler who goes to England and cleans them up? I mean, Mitchell Johnson uh, struggled in England, didn't he? You know what I mean? Jeff Thompson had his moments, but it wasn't his favourite country by any means, you know? So, But McGrath, McGrath, you know, 130, he used to do all right. Yeah, absolutely. And... It's that sort of nibble and nudge off the seam or the swing bowlers. It always pains my heart that Damien Fleming never played a test in England because I've never seen a more uh, suitable bowler to English conditions. But uh, So Australia's got to be really mindful over the next few months. Just reserving a place for that English specialist who's just going to... It's just going to be needed when, when, when uh, to take wickets over there. Yeah, just staying on the Chris Tremaine omission. See, this is what's maddening, I think, for a lot of fans of the team. You know, he was in the squad at the beginning of the Indian Test Series. And my opinion is Tremaine's bowled his heart out for three years for Victoria to, to earn that spot. And he, and he gets in the pecking order and he, he thinks, OK, I'm not far from the Test side. And then Hazelwood gets injured, but they pick Richardson on the back of, look, he's taken shield wickets. But really, probably, you know, his ODI performance got him into the test squad. And it, and it just must be so frustrating for someone like Tremaine uh, to, to sort of just have the, the selection pulled out from under, the, the rug pulled out from under him. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I'll tell you another, another reason I feel a little bit sorry for Chris is that I always feel that bowlers who switch states 
or players who switch states suffer from what you call the Kepler vessel syndrome. Kepler once said the problem with playing for Australia and South Africa is you never get truly owned by both of them. And, uh, of course, he was raised in, uh, and born in Dubbo and played a lot in New South Wales, then, of course, went to Melbourne. And when you move to another state, a lot of times it's different, of course, with Adam Gilchrist in Western Australia. He was so popular there, wasn't he? Not in the beginning. Not in the beginning when he, when he forced Tim Zero out of the team. But I just think that uh, Chris, to me, has always had to work very hard for what he's got. I'm not sure that, that Victoria have really, really claimed him like they claim Aaron Finch and, and ride his career. So, But, but look, uh, one thing I do know is when he gets there, and I, I'm sure he will break through eventually, there'll be a nice, nice, uh, he'll have a nice career. I hope so. And uh, I, d- I sort of think the selectors, are, there's a little bit going on behind the scenes now. Trevor Hone spoke at the announcement of this team and he said the selectors are being reviewed. So we could see changes in that panel in the next six months, I think. Yeah, it, it, I do feel sorry for the manners a little bit in that the spread of talent is so thin and so even that I can understand how you could debate the same issue two weeks in a row and come up with a different answer. I guess what I'm talking about here is there's probably about 13 batsmen who are all good enough to average between 30 and 42 or so in first-class cricket, but very few standouts amongst them. I mean, and that's the issue. You know, the batsmen, honestly, they're interchangeable. There's no... Blokes are doing enough to save their careers, but not necessarily save the side, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so let's move on. I wanted to talk about the the CA11 game versus Sri Lanka and the fact that the test side was announced before this game. And we saw Curtis Patterson come out and make centuries in both innings, a player who they've been desperate to give a crack in the test side, but he's never scored at the right time. He scores at the right time, but it's the wrong time. Yeah, it's, and I often wonder too about the mindset of the fact that he was not in the team and was not auditioning for the place in the team, whether that really freed him up in the way that, you know what it's like when they announce a test team the week after that, someone always scores 140 who is in contention and failing because they're freed up. But look, he's an interesting one. He's very highly rated by a selector who I rate, and that's Mark Waugh. Mark's had his eye on Curtis Patterson for a lot of years, of course, you know, he came into the New South Wales team as an 18-year-old. He's one of the youngest ever players to score a Shield century. But he scores a lot of 50s and not many hundreds. And then, bang, against Sri Lanka, two unbeaten centuries. Look, I know people are saying, oh, how embarrassing is that? And I get that. But I also think if Curtis is good enough, his time is coming. I mean, that could get him on the Ashes Tour is a reserve batsman and that is a significant step forward for him. Uh, His first class average is relatively good. It's 41 I think. I mean that's by current standards that's very very useful. So he has now been watched. Those two centuries were not wasted for Curtis Patterson. There is still time for him to get on the Ashes Tour and really that's what truly matters. You know I think 
Curtis Patterson is sort of cracking the code for the way he goes about making big scores. And I think, you know, we underrate that sort of quality in a batsman that history is littered with players that have come out and made nice 30s and 40s. But you need something else to be able to, you know, kick on and make the big scores. And, you know, hopefully Curtis Patterson sort of cracked the code. I mean, he's only 25, 26, so he's got plenty of years ahead of him. Yeah, well... I'm hoping that the Indian batsmen really inspire the Australians for the for the rest of this season. And I speak most particularly of Cheteswar Pajara, who was just anchored to the crease and so patient. Like, already after seeing MS Dhoni win uh, India two one-day games, I reckon I saw a splash of his mindset in Marcus Stoinis for the Stars uh, on the weekend when he just sort of very patiently just guided them home against the Renegades in a really MS Dhoni sort of way. And I could almost, it almost looked as if he was thinking about what would MS do? Just take it easy, a few singles, now I'm lifting the tempo. So I'm hoping that Pajara will do that to several of Australia's batsmen. So, uh, but, but that's right. Patterson did show great patience in those two innings and there's an opening now. Everyone knows it for an anchor man at the top of Australia's top order. A heavy duty, long term player, long innings player. The, the door is open. Step forward. All, all welcome. You know, no one is barred. Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, last question. I heard you. I, re- I read that you uh, interviewed Jeff Thompson about Australia's pace bowling tactics throughout the summer. D- what do you make of his comments? I thought he was 100% right. Like, I mean, he said, it's not that hard. He said, if you're not getting your LBWs, you pick with, and Australia's fast bowlers, of course, didn't get one in four tests. I mean, think of it, Manners. That's, if I'd have predicted that to you in his pre-season podcast, you said, make a prediction. I'll say, no LBWs this series to Australia's fast bowlers. You'd have burst out laughing, exactly. wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, and so he just said, too short, too wide. He said, just learn from what India were doing. Bowl straight. Get the ball on off stump. Wobble it around. Give yourself options. Caught in slip. Bold LBW. And, 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 you know, pitch the thing up. So Greg Chappell once said to me about Jeff Thompson, he said, when you take all the F's and C's out of what Tomo says, <laughs> he generally makes pretty good sense. He's a pretty wild old owl. It just, he delivers it with a bit of chutney sauce on top. And, and mate, I thought he spoke very sensibly. Like, he was saying, you know, when Craig McDermott was the bowling coach, they didn't have this problem. They pitched the thing up. That was McDermott's big creed, wasn't it? Pitch the ball up. Mm, so fair, fair comments by Tomo, yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll see an adjustment for the upcoming Test Series. Well, Crash, thanks so much for your time. Uh, good luck with Cricket 360 for the last two tests and uh, all your columns for the Courier Mail, and we'll catch up in Canberra. I'll be there. My pleasure, Menas. Thanks so much. Uh, great stuff as always there from Robert Crash Craddock. And remember, you can keep up with all his columns at couriermail.com.au. All right, we're going to take a quick break, then I'll be back with Ben Horn. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. Men is here and joining me on the line now, we have the Chief Cricket Writer for the Daily Telegraph, Ben Horn. Ben, how are you? 
Yeah, well, thanks, Manus. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. So, uh, look, I just I recorded an interview with Crash Craddock, and in between that interview and now, Curtis Patterson has been given a shock call-up to the Australian Test Squad. What do you think about the selectors sort of backflipping on their original decision not to pick him? Uh, look, I'm a bit torn, to be honest. I mean, I don't think there was anything wrong with their original decision not to pick him. He was sort of one of, a, a, I guess, a couple of guys that could have, gone for but yeah look it creates an interesting situation i think it's a smart call in the sense that he's um he was on the verge anyway and now he's he smashed two unbeaten hundreds against sri lanka so from that point of view i think it is common sense but um the flip side of that is of course what it does to um joe burns in particular and uh, i guess matt renshaw as well that they were in the squad and now perhaps they're um their less chance of actually playing a test. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword in terms of how it impacts on the on the squad, but I guess with the, the depth so light overall, um, it's probably a smart decision, I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, just scored two centuries in the CA11 game. At least he comes in in red-hot form. What's your, what's your gut feeling about what they might do with this batting order? Do you think it could be Harrison Kawaja up the top and Curtis Patterson at three, or will they stick Renshaw and Burns up the top. It's a, they could go a lot of different ways. Yeah, they could. So, yeah, this is purely just gut feel. I, you know, it's too early to really know, I think. But, um, yeah, look, I'm thinking uh, what you said uh, originally there, that um, perhaps Kawaja will stay as an opener after all and Patterson will come in at number three. Uh, or, you know, they could stick with Marnus at number three. But uh, I guess the, 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 what I'm feeling is that um, Curtis Patterson and Will Kofsky will be the two um, extra batsmen who are playing and uh, perhaps Burns and Renshaw miss out. Yeah, it's, it's a really tough one. They could go a lot of different ways. One thing I think about Patterson is, as opposed to Marnus Lobashane, is Patterson has batted three for New South Wales for a long time and he's a genuine number three. You know, he, he comes in and he can blunt the new ball if an early wicket falls. I'm not sure Marnus has the same credentials, so that could be a, a thing that they go for. Yeah, oh, definitely. That that seems to make a lot of sense. Um, I suppose the argument for Lubbershane was he did well in the last test, um, showed some good signs, and although he didn't make 200 against Sri Lanka like Patterson did, he did make, um, I think, an unbeaten 50 in the in the second innings. So, yeah, look, he's not going too badly either, and... Um, I guess um, in terms of continuity of decision, they backed him in for the last test, so why wouldn't they back him in for this one? So, yeah, there's a couple of arguments either way, but, yeah, I I tend to agree that um, perhaps Patterson, um, with his level of experience at first-class level, even though it is his test debut, that he could handle um, number three pretty well. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting build-up to the test now. You're going up to the Gabba for the day-night test. I'm just wondering if your mobile phone has a pretty good light on it because if the lights go out again at the Gabba, it'll be up to the spectators <laughs> to keep the test going. Well, yeah, apparently it's the spectators that need to be ducking for cover. But, yeah, look, it, <laughs> you can't imagine lightning striking twice, but it would uh, have the officials up in Brisbane pretty nervous, I imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah, they'll so, be checking yeah, those cables the, pretty well. What's the contingency plan? Can they play a day test if it... <laughs> Goes up in smoke. They might have to. Yeah, I might need to pack some Red Bulls as well. Now, uh, another big uh, news is that Josh Hazelwood's been ruled out of this Test series. Joe Richardson's come into the squad. Now, 
uh, Crash Craddock thinks that Richardson should play ahead of Siddle because of you know all that he's shown so far. What what do you what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I think Richardson should play. It's uh, I, I think I saw you tweeting about it the other day, mate. But yeah, it's, um, I'm not sure you want to be the reserve bowler in a squad or on a tour because you just seem to get leapfrogged all the time. And uh, sadly, I think that's what might happen to Peter Siddle, but it's what happened to Jai Richardson. If you think back to the UAE tour, he was the reserve for South Africa, and then a few months later, uh, they took Brendan Doggett and Michael Nisa. And then uh, for the start of the home summer, Nisa and Doggett were gone, and Tremaine was the reserve bowler. So Tremaine's the one who's now been um, left by the wayside. So, yeah, it's, uh, it is musical chairs if you're a backup fast bowler, but... I would go Richardson because he bowls with pace and I just think, you know, Pete Siddle's best, best, I think, asset for the Australian team in the month coming up is potentially going to be in the Ashes and I think uh, using him now, the only thing that could happen is you could potentially burn him out on the flat wickets in, in Brisbane and, and particularly Canberra, so... I'd be going for the young guy, and uh, let's let's try find out a bit, a bit about Joe Richardson. Yeah, I agree. The only thing that could put a spanner in the works is, I think Siddle is a like for like replacement with Hazelwood in the style of bowler. So whether they think having Stark and Richardson is a bit of a risk. Mm. It's interesting. They actually said in the press release, Trevor Holmes' quotes actually said that they felt that Richardson was the ideal replacement for Josh Hazelwood. That was um, in the squad, but still, that was um, quite an interesting statement to make because, yeah, I see what you mean about, about Siddle, but um, yeah, look, Richardson, um, he's become a bit more versatile, I think, and yeah, I just think, like, in the position Australia's in at the moment, where you would expect Hazelwood start coming to be playing most of the time, if a rare opportunity comes up, I really do think you've got to give a young guy a go and try and find a bit about it, a bit out about him. Now, you wrote a, a good article over the weekend about the three options for the new Australian test vice captain. Usman Kawaja, Nathan Lyon and Pat Cummins were the three uh, options that you put up. What, who do you think they might lean towards? I, I don't really know, to be honest. Um, I'm a bit torn. I, I personally would go Kawaja. I, you know, I think uh, he's an experienced head. He's a, bat, he's a top-order batsman, so I think you can be pretty sure that he'll play these two tests uh, no matter what happens, although I suppose you can't be 100% sure in, in, this, uh, in this day and age. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, look, I think, you know, Pat Cummins probably doesn't need the um, the extra load and, uh, you know, he's a fast bowler, so what if something happened to him after one test and you got to go through the whole process again? Nathan Lyon, I think, would make a lot of sense because he's the most experienced bloke in the team. He's, you know, like, well, he's one guy you know he's playing. I mean, he's the most, um, he's the first bloke picked in the Australian team. So I would probably go Lyon or Kawaja if I was doing it, but I really don't know which, which way they will... Um, which way they will think, but you know, I guess the decision is: is do they name it just as an interim for this series, or are they actually going to replace Mitchell Marsh as one of the two co-vice captains? That's going to be another piece of the puzzle. If they, yeah, if they want to replace Mitch Marsh permanently, then uh, I would think Lyon would have to be. He's the only bloke you could be sure is is playing the Ashes at the moment. So I tend to think maybe they might go an interim at this stage because Nathan Lyon fits the bill of the the player that just doesn't want to be captain. He, he would almost be a reluctant vice-captain, um, which I think is a good fit. Pat Cummins would be the marketing department's dream at Cricket Australia. And, and look, if they can't make a decision, they might just pick all three. We might have three co-vice-captains for the series. 
Yeah, well, that is possible, or at least two. Yeah, I mean, they've shown that that's the way that they um, that they're thinking. I mean, the reason I've um, I think Kawaja would be a perhaps a wise choice is uh, I just remember Jim Payne saying a bit earlier in the series that um, Kawaja had been a bit of a sounding board for him in that series against India. Um, you know, pretty calm character. You know, someone who's you know captain Queensland to a Shield victory, and yeah, he's been around the traps for a long time. So yeah, there's a bit bit going for Kawaja, but. Um, mm. You know, like a lot of these guys, you know, he, he probably needs some runs pretty soon. I know he made that marvellous 100 against Pakistan, but, yeah, Australia really need, really need their experienced players to, to be consistent looking to the Ashes. Yeah, Usman Khawaja has a nice level head about him, which uh, you'd think him and Payne would work well together. All right, let's a couple of quick ones for you. So um, Pete Lawler was saying last week on the radio that he hadn't watched a Big Bash game all summer yet. Look, it might have changed by now, but have you watched a Big Bash game yet? Uh, not in its entirety, no. Okay. no I've, uh, I've seen bits and pieces. Um, I love the two women's games on, um, you know, sort of the final stages of them on the weekend. But no, I must admit I have not watched a, uh, a full game of Big Bash. Well, I'll just little tick there so that's Pete down Ben down next um David Warner and Steve Smith now the the Daily Telegraph the fine paper that you write for are doing a daily countdown until their ban is over but they've both got these elbow injuries have you heard any inkling about how serious they are I think um Steve Smith's one is clearly more serious than Dave Warner's um they're both going to have surgery I think but but Steve Smith has quite a you know rehabilitation um process to go I think with it whereas I think David Warner's is more of a clean out by the sounds of it so it's a pre-existing issue that just needs to be cleaned out and with a bit of rest he'll be right to go I mean the fact that he's playing on in Bangladesh suggests they're not too worried about him otherwise I would have thought they'd be bringing him home in a flash so Steve Smith is a concern Um, yeah a bit of a mystery but it's still a long long time till uh, the World Cup starts but for him I guess you know having not played for a year playing the IPL for him uh, is quite quite important so if the injury was to keep him out of the IPL then it, it really would make it a, a bit of a difficult scenario for Australia yeah because they'd pick him for the World Cup with little sort of match practice the only thing about the World Cup is it's such a long tournament in you know, every team gets nine games you you could pick someone thinking that they could sort of get into form potentially but I'm not sure Australia's really in a position to do that but 15 players in a squad not a whole lot to play with when you when you think about it, given you do need a couple of bowling variations in the squad as well. So yeah, you wouldn't want to uh wouldn't want to be taking too many risks. But look, I'd be surprised if Steve Smith's not in the World Cup squad. I just think he has to be based on how you know, what he's capable of and how much Australia's struggled over the last few years, uh, I think, to win it. And I think they you know, I think they can do something in this tournament, but yeah, to do to do something, I think they need the star power. So uh, I'd expect them to be pulling out fairly fairly big stops to uh, to get to get Steve Smith there. All right, now uh, well, let's stay on the one day theme. And last little topic: so Australia lost the one day series to India two one. Uh, a big concern is the form of the skipper Aaron Finch. Oh, you know, it is a worry that he's he looks horribly out of form. It is a worry, but um, I would be. Um, in the faith with Finch because they've made the mistake over the last few years of not doing that. He got dropped to the World 2020 uh, back in 2016 and that was a mistake. Uh, he came back out, scored some runs, but it was too little, too late. Australia was already out of the tournament and he's been dropped from the one-day team too and come back and he's had a lean year, but 
but his previous year before that, he was he was the first picked player in the one day squad. Look, I think that his test experience hasn't really been good for him. I think it, it might have been quite stressful, and you know his workload obviously spiked. He was playing all three formats and captaining two of them. So, look, I think I think they, they've got to learn from Aaron Finch and just know that he will come good. I, I think I really do think they've got to they've got to stick with him and um, you know just just trust that his uh, mindset. Uh, is going to improve over the next few months now that he doesn't have to worry about test cricket. So, yeah, I think you really do need to, to back Finch in. And his leadership, I think, has been good. And, you know, that's the other side of it. I mean, who else do you have as a captain for the World Cup? So, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't panic about Aaron Finch because I think he's proved enough times that, that you know, he's a, he's a big... Big, big stage performer in uh, limited overs cricket. And Nathan Lyon was picked for the first two one days against India. Probably didn't get the wickets he was after. And, you know, Australia really needs somebody that can be a wicket-taking option through the middle overs. They do. Um, look, I don't think they're going to deviate too far, though, from Lyon and Zampa. Um, Langer's quote sort of indicated that, I thought, after, um, after the series. They just, like, the worst thing they could do now, I think, is chop and change again because that's been the problem. I don't think Lyon's played consecutive series for the last few years. He seems to get one, then he's gone for two, and then back for one, out for three sort of thing. So, you know, if, if you want him to improve, you actually need to give him a chance to do that. Uh, he's not going to do that in two matches in Australia, uh, conditions which are going to be different to what they face in England. So he, it wouldn't be fair, I don't think, if he's not given a chance in India and the UAE to um, further push his case. I think that the only possible left field option now as a spinner might be someone like Lloyd Pope if they or Farwood Ahmed if they decided that they need someone who can really turn the ball, real wicket taker one of those guys might just sneak in at the last moment but I think in terms of the two series that are coming up before the uh, World Cup I think uh, Zampa and Lyon will be there Well, I, yeah, I agree with you you got, you got to show some faith in Lyon's experience and uh, back him in. All right, Benny, well, I'll let you go um, you're on your way to the Gabba. Tell me, are you expecting a close test series or do you think the Aussies are just going to be too good for the Sri Lankans? Uh, look, I have no idea. I mean, I, you would expect Australia <laughs> to win this series on home soil, but the pink ball uh, really does throw up a few variables because if Sri Lanka happen to get the best of the conditions, then, um, you know, that can really change the course of a, of a pink ball test match. So, yeah, and just with the changes in the Australian side... It's going to be an exciting series, or you know, like yeah, you know, they are exciting changes that Australia have made. We get to see a new fast bowler potentially, probably two debutant batsmen. So it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be great to watch, I think. But um, you know, in terms of how Australia go, you know, you'd be um, I don't know, you, it it really is a bit of a wait and see. Mm, I got goosebumps. I was reading a story by Crash about Doug Walters' debut when he was a bit younger than Will Pekovsky, but it just made me excited for seeing the young Tyro at the crease. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think um, Pekoski's going to be great. He would have been picked against India if um, you know if he had have stayed on the field and everything had been going well for him in his off-field life. So um, he's a great talent, very level-headed young guy as well, like really mature, someone that you, you would wish to do well. So uh, he'll be great. And Curtis Patterson's um, much the same, you know, a real honest performer. You know, he hasn't scored as many hundreds as perhaps he... He should have, um, although he's sort of <laughs> made up for lost time on the weekend. But, um, 
but he's very consistent at sort of making half centuries. Like really, you know, really reliable in that sort of making it thirty to thirty to sixty odd mark. And based on what Australia's got at the moment, you know, having someone that you can bank on at the top of the order for to, to bat out, you know, hundred hundred plus balls, that that's that's a good thing. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited by this team all of a sudden. I think it's, um, it's going to be a good test. I agree. And Curtis Patterson had the, uh, well, we had the good fortune. He was the very first guest on Cricket Unfiltered. So it uh, be good to see him in the test side. All right, Benny, look, enjoy your trip up to the Gabba and we'll catch up at the end of the test. Thanks, man. Cheers, mate. Ben Horn there from the Daily Telegraph. And coming up after the break, I have Gideon Hay, columnist for the Australian newspaper. But before I do that, I just want to remind you all, if you have a moment, please rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on. If you do leave a five-star review on iTunes or a positive review, it it bumps it up the rankings and it allows people to find the podcast easier. So it would be a really big help to me and the show if you could go on and leave a review. It would be much appreciated. Okay, coming up after the break, Gideon Hay. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. Men is here and now joining me on the line is cricket writer for The Australian and now TV star for Channel 7, Gideon Hay. Gideon, how are you? I'm very well, very well indeed, Andrew. As Peter Lawler and I call ourselves the covers these days, we get an extra good run when it rains. (laughs) Are you enjoying your uh, time on Channel 7? Oh, it's a way to kill a bit of time, isn't it? Yeah, and they don't don't seem to care about how dishevelled we are. In fact, they think that it weirdly contributes to the ambiance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Looks like they've dragged a couple of people in from the outer sometimes just to have a chat. (laughs) Obviously, you make a lot more sense than people from the outer. But let's start, I guess, with the the big news today. Curtis Patterson's been called into Australia's test squad. And what's your sort of uh, feeling about the way this team's looking? Well, I think that um, I, I think Australia in Australia against Sri Lanka would be a match for them, regardless. I'm glad to know that Curtis has been called up. He's a he's a good cricketer and a, and a nice young fellow, and and he's been knocking on the door for a while. He might have been chosen a couple of years ago. Uh, he ha- ha- hasn't perhaps made the big scores that would have been expected, considering that he made 157 on his on his first appearance. But he's held down a tough position in the order, and we are short of players who can bat. In the, um, in the top four, I think. We're probably over-endowed with players who can bat five or six. But number three, toughest position in the order. It would be lovely for him um, to, uh, to to make a go of it. Yeah, to me, he looks like a number three batsman, whereas Marnus Lobeshain looks, for me, a long way from being a test number three. Well, I mean, if you look at his first-class record, it's um, it's not one that suggests sort of long-term permanence at uh, test level. He's still learning the game, of course, and probably a bit early to judge him. I like his leg spin bowling, despite the fact a whole heap of dross against uh, India. It's probably best we don't place too much emphasis on that, but it does, um, but it does allow an additional uh, dimension to an attack that is otherwise very dependent on its on its three specialist seamers. Mm. What do you think of Will Pekovsky's inclusion in the squad? Well, I think they've wanted to do it for a while. Uh, they are looking for that boom batsman who can kind of bypass first-class cricket and uh, and walk straight up into uh, into international ranks. One of the besetting difficulties for test selectors these days is because international players so seldom drop back to first-class level, it can be very difficult to work out what runs and wickets in the Sheffield Shield are worth. 
So in order to get a, a proper assessment, a decent assessment of a, of a young player, you kind of have to blood him quite early. That's the theory that they're, that they're following. I don't necessarily subscribe to it. Uh, it's a low-key series, of course, against Sri Lanka. It's two test matches. It's, a, it's the last opportunity that we'll have to, uh, to tamper with our top six before we play our five test matches against England later this year. So it's a, it's a chance to uh, experiment. I'm not sure how much we'll, we'll actually learn from it because... Playing Sri Lanka in Australia is very difficult, di- different to uh, to playing England in England. But it will give us a, 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 an inkling of the selectors' thinking going forward. Yeah, I'm a bit worried about this Sri Lankan side because I think they pose a little threat to Australia in that if they get the ball to swing, the pink ball to swing, then they could cause our batsmen problems. And you know they've got a couple of pretty handy spinners in Sandikan and Pereira. Yeah. Traditionally, those type of bowlers have troubled our top order. Yeah, but we are playing in a day-night test match where I would imagine that um, that Australia would have the experience edge. And Sri Lanka are also without... Uh, Matthews and, and now Pradeep, uh, I think that uh, that knocks a pretty big hole in Sri Lanka and you only need to have been following their results over the last few years to realise that as, a, as an on-the-road side, they're a shadow of their former selves. And losing at home 3-0 to England kind of done their confidence any good. I guess their three main batsmen are Chandamal, Karuna Ratna and Kusul Mendes. They're the three that will need to really lift if they're to push Australia. Yeah, Mendes has had a very good year. You know, he's made a thousand runs in Test cricket last season, and uh, and Karina Ratner has been a an effective uh, opening batsman. But it's a it's a very big step up for them in Australia, despite the fact that we've just lost to uh, to, to India out here. Even then, we took a, we took a Test match off the off the world's number one. It's a it's a big advantage playing under our own condition. Well, you're making me feel a bit less nervous, Gideon, because I'm <laughs> starting to get sort of sense of an upset. But I think maybe you're talking sense. All right. Now, actually, one of the reasons, the main reasons I called you is we had a really good podcast in October about your book Crossing hmm. the Line. It was a lot of positive reception to our chat and then since then the review into Cricket Australia has been released and the fallout so I just kind of want to tie up our discussion and I guess um, let's start with the review and I guess just your general impressions about were you surprised with the results of the findings or did they sort of match what you'd uncovered? Well I was a little bit surprised but I certainly wasn't shocked in some ways I take my hat off to Cricket Australia and having uh, made public or largely public, an assessment of the organisation that was as candid as it was. But none of the findings or none of Simon Longstaff's conclusions did anything other than resonate with things that people had already said to me in the course of of writing Crossing the Line. And since the review, uh, we've seen David Pevergo and uh, Pat Howard's gone, some other key figures at the top of Cricket Australia. Do you get the sense that Kevin Roberts identified that to make his position tenable, he needed a reset? Well, he did need a reset. The question would be whether Kevin Roberts should have been part of that reset, of course, because uh, it's not as though he had nothing to do with the, uh, the culture that, um, that the Longstaff Review was so critical of. Uh, perhaps this was, uh, this was a case of uh, Roberts putting some blue water between himself and the, and the previous regime. But I think there's still, there's still a good deal of scrutiny of, uh, of, of Roberts's position. He's making all the right gestures and emitting all the right utterances about uh, Cricket Australia being a 
presenting a new face to the world, but you know, words and deeds still have to marry. Yeah, I do get the feeling that behind the scenes there is still a bit going on at Cricket Australia. I mean, Trevor Holmes was quite candid when he announced the Test Squad for South Africa and saying that their panel is under review at the moment. So yes. there's a lot, a little bit bubbling away in uh, at Cricket Australia. Yeah, and, and, but these are issues that have been bubbling away for, for quite some time. I mean, the composition of the selection panel, I think, has been uh, an issue probably even during Darren Lehman's period. Uh, Pat Howard rather liked the idea of there being uh, a single point of accountability for, uh, for selection with uh, perhaps, you know, the, the coach acting as sole selector and a, and a group of kind of talent managers or, um, or local scouts uh, operating as uh, as providers of, uh, of of raw information, it, cricket uh, cricket selection of of course has been restructured in England and seems to have been done so relatively effectively. I still wonder whether um, whether Justin Langer would actually want that sole responsibility because at least when there is a committee structure, there's the possibility of blaming other people. I think you don't want to put all that pressure on Justin Langer. And you mentioned England; they have a great system where they have you know a couple of key figures at the top but then a series of scouts and one thing that stood out to me was that I think every selector has to see every player at least three times before they can be selected so it means that there's a really rigorous selection process going on. Yeah and there's a recognition I think that uh, that international coaches these days spend so long with their teams that the idea that they can see watch county cricket or watch Sheffield Shield cricket on a regular basis is a bit of a council of, of perfection. And uh, what have you made of sort of the the marketing of the Australian team this season? I mean, it's been a noticeable shift in, in access mm. to players, in the way they present themselves. What do you make of it? Well, it's been a noticeable shift as far as TV is concerned. I'm not sure that it's made any difference in the world to uh, to non-rights holders like uh, like us in the, in the written media. In fact, in some respects, I think our position is worse than it's uh, that it's been before. The players who are being lined up to do press conferences are often kind of completely ridiculous. The, uh, the there doesn't seem to have been any sort of understanding of the role that uh, that the print media plays in popularising the, the game or um, or providing a uh, a service to uh, to the public. It has all been about servicing the needs of the two television broadcasters. That's interesting. Um, I know that it's been taking a while for the players to get to the press conference, but uh, yeah, by yeah. the time they do all the rounds, uh, I think Tim Payne, though, has been a, a great uh, leader this summer in, in just what he's done for the Australian team and the sort of feeling he's brought to the team. I think he's been a breath of fresh air. Yeah, Payne's been good. But when you, you get the situation like uh, after the first day in Sydney, they, uh, they gave us Marnus. For, uh, for the press conference, who'd bowled several overs of long hops. That was an invidious position for, for him to be in. And really, that's the kind of day when you might want to hear from the coach or you might want to hear from the captain or you might want to hear from a key bowler. It did seem to be, you know, who here is prepared to put up their hand and, uh, and, and cop, the, cop the press? And Marnus, being young and eager and, uh, and uh, anxious to do the right thing by the team, put his, uh, put his hand up. Yeah, lamb to the slaughter there, I think. Yeah. So I guess uh, the jury's still out. We'll wait and see until Smith and Warner get back at what that does to the sort of team dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, for this first test against Sri Lanka, would you chuck in Jai Richardson or would you um, yeah, go I would with actually. Yeah, I really like the look of Jai Richardson. He's impressed me for quite a few years. Uh, he's managed to stay clear of injury. He's managed to uh, to, to perform consistently. Uh, he's he's definitely quick. I don't know how he's so quick. He, he looks like a looks like a, um, a a wisp of a of a lad. 
but uh, but he is sharp and uh, and he's consistent and he's performed at, uh, at at all levels and in all formats. So I think he really does deserve his opportunity. Yeah, he reminds me of a young Brett Lee in sort of physique and action. Yeah, there's, there, there's some comparability. I think there's even less of uh, of Richardson than, than, than there was of Lee. It's almost like he's got some sort of elixir of, of youth. Uh, he'd definitely be one that I would take to, uh, to to England. And I suspect that you might want to take someone like a you know a Trent Copeland to uh, to, to England too as a as a horses for courses selection. One of your Channel Seven teammates getting a plug. Uh, I I'm guess. rising above that. Um, <laughs> I know, but I know. Uh, I. I He's a very astute cricketer. He's very um, he's a he's a very experienced cricketer. And if you're going to take him anywhere, and his first class record does his record does seem to demand it, it's going to be England. His record is outstanding. It's about three hundred wickets at twenty five at first class level. It it is really amazing. And you can't forget he's played a couple of tests. Just last thing about Jai Richardson, uh, which I wasn't aware of, but he doesn't drink alcohol at all. He's a complete teetotaler. And when you know they pass. The celebratory champagne around at the end of a game, say when he's won for the Scorchers, he won't drink, which is, um, I don't know, just a different thing for a modern Aussie cricketer. Well, it's like Victor Trumper, it's like uh, like Donald Bradman, and it's like Farwood Ahmed. <laughs> what a trio. That's it. A trivia question, what do the three of those have in common? They're teetotalers. Well, Gideon, thanks so much for giving me some time and coming on the podcast. Are you heading up to the Gabba soon? I am going up on the on the match morning. Looking forward to it. Well, enjoy the test, and uh, I'll be in Canberra, so I'll see you there. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. See you, mate. Bye. Well, that's it for another jam-packed, news-filled edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks to Robert, Crash Craddock, Ben Horn, and then Gideon Hay for coming on the podcast. I've been your host, Andrew Mensel. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered, and I'll be back later in the week with a special interview podcast with Mel Jones from Fox Cricket. Thank you.